In Matthew 11, would you look please, we've been looking for, uh, this is our third night now in this uh, week of increased meeting. And our text here is Matthew 11 and 28, in the words of the Master himself, he said, Come unto me, and all ye that labor and are heavy laden or loaded, and I will give you rest. Are there a lot of people in this world that are fatigued and pressed? and pressured, and feel like it's all just too much, and ready to give up and quit. There are people that are doing this, giving up and quitting, right and left. And the Master said, come to me, and I will give you relief. I will give you rest, and included in that idea of rest is restoration. I will give you rest And when you can genuinely rest, even physically, the time when your body does its most healing is when you're resting. And when you rest on the inside, then there's restoration. Remember the Bible said, uh, the Lord's my good shepherd. And among other things that he does, he restores my soul. But would your soul ever need restoring? The inward man needs to be renewed day by day. That, that means it's being depleted. You are expend everything you do that takes effort is using spiritual energy and strength. And you don't have unlimited spiritual energy and strength. Your spirit is not the Holy Spirit. You are not omnipotent. He helps us, but we live in this limited physical body. We're down here in the midst of this dark, dark, curse-filled world, and everything around you is trying to wear you down, pull you down, push you down, confuse you, hurt you, destroy you. It's actually a very bad place to live down here. (laughs) I'm talking about anywhere on the planet. But we are not of this world. We have been born, those that have been born again, have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And so we are not subject to the enemy and his lordship in this world. We have another Lord and he has made us free. And in the midst of all this darkness, we can have joy and strength and peace that passes understanding. And we can cast all of our cares over on him and not have this pressing, pressure, fatigue stuff. But you got to do it his way. What did the master say? Come to me. It's the only place you're going to get this. You can't get it anywhere else. You've got you to come to him. Come to me, all, everybody that has been laboring, 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 working, 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 and are heavy loaded. 
carrying a load, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke that lets you know there are other yokes that are not his. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly, or other translations say humble, in heart. And you shall find rest to your souls. We're not supposed to be, as children of God, upset all the time. We're not supposed to be just tired out of our mind. Are there many that are in this case? Many. Many that are just making themselves put one foot in front of the other, wanting to give up, wanting to quit. And there's, there's a lot of people just, you know, they want to die. And they want to go on to be with the Lord and get out of here. Well, it'll happen soon enough. I'm telling you, if you live a hundred years, it's a flash in eternity. It's nothing you don't want to leave Things undone you should have done. Yeah, that's good. You don't want to leave before you finish your course. Well, I, I don't know of anything I need to do. Well, that don't mean there's not anything you need to do. Because you don't know it. You got to check in. You got to seek the Lord. You got to be willing to do some things. Maybe that you didn't think you wanted to do. But there is a course for us to finish. We need to not leave until we have finished our course, done everything that we were supposed to do, everything, there's reasons why you were born. When you were born and where you were born and the things you've been around and you've had access to. And sadly, there are all kind of opportunities to benefit the kingdom and people that people are not taking advantage of. It's been around them, but they're too busy doing other stuff or just don't care. The Lord said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things that the world's running after, seeking after. He would see that you get, they'll be added to you. But the Lord doesn't want us to be fatigued. He doesn't want us to be pressed down and overburdened. He said, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. And learn of me, I am meek and humble in heart, gentle and meek and humble, all these words are accurate, in heart, and you shall find rest. Does that sound good to anybody? You shall find rest. You cannot find this in a bottle or in a pill or through what people call retail therapy or any kind of sin or getting the big house, or the big car, or it, none of that will give it to you. None of it will. I, I heard something, though, this has been 30 years ago, but a guy had just got one of the, there was a limited edition Porsche that he got. I mean, it was even back then, it was a $75,000 car, and that was decades ago. And so it's rare and amazing. And um, somebody asked him, they said, man, what was the greatest thing? about getting that car. He said, the day before I got it. <laughs> I thought that's a revelation. Yeah. What? The day before he got it. 
because he's about to get something that he's never had that most people in the world don't have and might not get and it's like the fastest one of the greatest cars that was made and, and then he got it and he enjoyed it drove it passed some people and then Monday came and it needed to be washed just like the cheap cars <laughs> And he realized it didn't turn him into somebody else. And it didn't fix all the problems in his life. It's a car. There are no things that can give you rest in your soul. There are no things that can satisfy you and fulfill you inside. You remember what Jesus said at the well of Samaria? They came and asked him and he said, I I have food to eat you don't know about. And they thought, well, what? who fed him? Where did he get some food? He said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. What's he saying? The thing that satisfies me is accomplishing the will of the Father. And it does. There is nothing, nothing in this world and in this life that will satisfy that longing and desire that you have inside you. That's why so many people destroy their lives trying to satisfy it with stuff and then they're more miserable than ever when they find out they've, they imagine when I get that, oh, everything will be great. But then they get it and it didn't fix everything. But when you find out where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing and you do what the Lord tells you to do and it helps other people and it helps advance a church or a ministry and the work of God. People are reached. They're saved. They're restored. They're filled with the Spirit. They're healed. They get their marriage fixed. They get their kids help. That satisfies you deep inside. Do you believe it? And what you've done then You've taken on the master's yoke. You've taken his light burden. And you have found, even though maybe in some natural ways you're working harder than you ever were, yet on the inside you're happier than you've ever been. And you've got rest and peace that passes understanding that cannot be bought, that cannot be obtained through any other way. Keep reading. He said, you'll find rest to your souls. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Everybody say that out loud with me. Let's read it together. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. One more time. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I see this clearer this week than I've ever seen it in my life. His his emphasis is is on my yoke and my burden. Why would you say that? Because there are many other yokes and there are many other burdens. And the enemy will try to yoke you to things that the Lord didn't want you yoked with and even convince you that it is the Lord. And he will try to put loads on you that the Lord never intended for you to try to deal with. And this is happening all over. But when you get a hold of the Lord's yoke and the Lord's burden, a yoke 
is something that you're joined to. Just like a yoke of oxen. You would have two oxen and, and back in those days a big wooden frame so that the oxen would pull together. And so it's a device that couples you with something else. Joins you. with some, That's what a yoke is. Well, a burden is a load. Something that you've your, your backpack or something that you've got on you that you're carrying alone. And if it is a hard yoke, you didn't get it from the Lord. And if it is a heavy burden, you didn't get it from the Lord. Because his yoke is easy. And how many times do you hear people talking about I've heard it so many times, I'm, I'm weary of hearing it. Of people talking about how hard the ministry is. People say, you just don't know how hard, how cruel people are. How mean folks are. And it's just, you know, you got all, all the problems of the people. And, and that's why a lot of times people want to retire early. And they want to get out. And they want to go. But... Does that sound like an easy yoke to you? Does that sound like a light burden? And what has happened, the enemy is so deceptive, he's so tricky, he will load you and tell you it's from the Lord. And he will load you and load you until your belly is is like a sway back mule and you're dragging the ground. And and then he'll say, come on, you can do better than this. Here's a bigger load. Come on, you got to do it for Jesus. Go, go, go. Until people break and collapse. Thinking they're doing it for the Lord. All lies. Because if it really was his yoke, according to him, it'd be what? My yoke is easy, and my, my, my yoke, different from others. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Oh, hallelujah. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. In uh, Romans 12, I want us to read this again. Romans 12 and 3. We touched on this, but we need to, need to remind it. He said, uh, amplified in verse 3, I'm going to read. By the grace given to me. And we already studied the last two nights. Who gets the grace? The humble. Do the proud get the grace the same as the humble? No, they don't. They get resistant. Now, there's, there's all kind of church people don't believe that. They don't believe that. They preach something else. But that's the Bible. And uh, he said, I warn you, everyone among you, not to estimate or think of himself more highly than he ought, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned by God to him. The, uh, the NIV, the reader's version, says it like this. Be reasonable when you think about yourself. 
Keep in mind the amount of faith God has given you. The Living Bible says, be honest in your estimate of yourself. Concerning what? Concerning where my faith is. The Holman translation says, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. The Weiss translation says, be thinking with the view to a sensible appraisal of himself according as to each one God divided a measure of faith. The Lord pointed something out to me today that I had not noticed. I'm not saying that's a, a strange thing. It happens all the time. <laughs> Mark 9, 23. Anybody know what that verse is? Mark 9, 23. Jesus said, If you can believe all things are possible to him that believes. Then the next verse is when the man said, Lord, I believe, help. Who gets the grace? The humble. He's acknowledging, I believe what you just said, but I'm struggling some here. Huh? Could you help me? I'm choosing to believe. Help me out, please. And the Lord pointed out to me that many people, verse 23, they think it reads, I can believe anything. Many people think it reads, I can believe anything, or I can believe for anything. Is that true? No. It's not true that you can believe for anything right now, this moment. If you've been walking with the Lord and growing with Him, you can believe for things now that you weren't able to believe for years ago. And if you'll keep growing and believing next year and five and ten if the Lord tears is coming, you'll be at a different place then. But can you see what he's saying here in Romans 12? Don't, Don't imagine that you're at a different place than you actually are. And this is specifically in connection with your degree of faith. That's what he said. Where, your fa- where the measure or the degree of your faith is. And you'll find that people who don't know much about it, they, they talk bigger talk than where they're at. And there's, again, there's that pride factor in that. And you even got people, you know, trying to show off that they're going to believe for something bigger than somebody else. And somebody got this, well, I'm on top then. They don't say it, but they got that in their mind. And that's just... Ignorance and foolishness. And it doesn't produce. There's a lot of big talk. But things don't happen. There is absolutely no room. In faith. For pride. None. Because faith. Is inseparable from grace. Everything. There's nothing to believe for. Except for what grace has provided and given. It's all connected with this. And notice he starts off this verse saying, by the grace, grace given to me. I'm telling you this. But he said, I'm warning you. Did you see that in that translation? I'm warning you. Don't have an over high estimate of where you are in your faith. 
Then if you read the rest of the verse, he says, if you prophesy, do it according to your measure of faith. If you give, do it according to your measure of faith. If you teach, do it according to your measure of faith. And he's talking about where you are now. Of course, have a vision to grow. I remember Phyllis and I were talking about this the other night. Brother Kenneth Hagin Sr., our father in the faith, who we had privilege to get to know who's in heaven now, he and, and Mom Hagin as well. He told about one of the first houses they got. And uh, he was on the road, and their meetings back then would be three, four, five, six, eight weeks long. And he'd be gone and then come back home, driving by automobile. I think he said during a, I forget how many year period of time, he put a million miles on cars, driving all over the U.S. and, and Canada. And um, anyway, he and, and, and Miss Aretha, and they had two small children, they got a house. And so uh, it was, had no furniture and needed everything. And, and so he came in one time after several weeks of uh, ministry and, and um, Miss Aretha was trying to catch him up on everything. And, and she said, you know, we, uh, we need this and we need that. And we really need some drapes for the house. And we have none. And he said, he looked at her and said, if I hang drapes on my faith, the whole thing's going to fall down. (laughs) Now, here's a man who knew something about faith, taught by the head of the church himself, actually an apostle of faith, commissioned by the head of the church to go teach my people faith. But what did he realize at that point in his life? Where my faith is right now. Why? He's believing to take care of the needs of the ministry. He's believing for, I guess they had a payment on the house and other things, utilities and other things. that They had just got in there. Because you know it takes money to move into a place. You got all that goes with that. And then here's something else. And he just realized, uh-uh. I, I can't hang that on my faith too. With everything else that I'm believing for. This is not real to many people. They imagine I can believe for anything. You cannot. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You don't have faith about a specific thing. Until you've heard from him. About that thing. And the Bible, we we already talked about this, but the scripture says, mentions unfeigned faith. And it means not pretend. And we see even in the Old Testament that people did things, and if you'd have just looked at it from the side, it looked like faith. It sounded like faith. We're going to go up to battle. We're going to do what the Lord told us to do. Here we go. But they had ignored him, and then he told them, no, go back. And so instead of it being faith, it was presumption. Because it was pretend, presumption. We must, if you're going to get actual results, you have to assess yourself. Every day, every week, every month, where am I? And you might wish that you were at a place. But what did he say? Don't think of yourself more highly. Is this more real to you than it has been? Than you ought to think. 
I used to train hard physically. I was in martial arts, and man, I, I trained night and day. Dear me, all the time. And I got into lifting weights, and I got to where I could, I could handle, you know, 400 pounds. I, I could handle stuff, but I do not need to slide under that today. I hadn't been doing it. And for me to slide under 400 pounds and say, I'm going to press this, I'm going to do this, that would be me thinking more highly of myself. <laughs> right? I mean, I might want to be there. I might remember when I was there. I might have fond memories of when I was there. But today, I ain't there. I'm not there. Could I get back there? Possibly, but today am I there? No. Well, just like that's real, you know, people have all kinds, you, you see this especially, don't you, in physical things and sports, people imagine I can do this and do that, you know, and then when they get out to do it, it's funny. Because <laughs> they, they don't realize that was 10 years ago and 20 pounds ago and uh-uh. You're just not there. Well, spiritually speaking, it's that way. Our spirit must be fed. Our faith must be fed. And the Bible said that we, um, we walk in the steps of faith. And he uses phrases like, your faith grows exceedingly. He said to a church, your faith is growing. The Lord told some people, he said, you have no faith for this. Others, he said, you have little faith. Others, and not many, he said, you have great faith. Two instances I'm aware of. Usually, what was the Lord having to tell people? Most of the time. What was he saying? Where's your faith? Right? <laughs> Reckon that has changed radically since then. See, people, people like to imagine they, they, they're not using their faith for anything. But they like to imagine, I can believe for anything. Well, what have you believed for in that area? What have you believed for? And you'll find you start off believing for even a small thing in that area. It can be a bigger issue than you thought. And you'll get a, a revelation of where you actually are instead of what you imagine. And you have to watch this. When you're around people that have strong faith, you can ride their coattail. <laughs> what do you mean, Brother Keith? Well, you can imagine all great things are happening, and you're in the middle of it. Right. And you can imagine, I'm believing for a bunch of this. <laughs> and you may not be. I've seen people, and you'll, you'll find this out when those people go home to be with the Lord. Then a lot of times people get a rude awakening and go, huh, huh, all this was just coming and in, all this was just happening, all this was just, uh, and then when they, when they realize they got to actually believe for it themselves, it's, it's a shock. And as parents, you do your children no favors by doing everything for them. You want to wean them off of you, 
on to the Holy Spirit as soon as you can. Because soon and very soon, it'll get out beyond what you can do. And if you go too long, you'll see children that have been so pampered and so babied by their parents until they imagine their faith is involved, but their parents have done everything for them, and now they're 18 years old, supposed to go out on their own, and it's just shocking to them that everybody doesn't just give them everything, and things don't just fall on them. It's like, I actually have to do something? Yeah. It would have been so much easier, so much easier when they were nine and they wanted you to do something for them. And you said, well, you know, you can believe God too. Yeah, you could have just reached in your pocket and done it, but they need to learn how to use their faith. Tell them, I will agree with you. Got something you want to sow? Well, I don't know. We'll pray about it. Come back and see me. Right? Let them get started. And and as soon as they do it, I mean little ones and young ones in the faith, if they'll just step out just a little bit, God will just come in and do stuff for them and and bless them so much. He knows they're babies spiritually. And, and, And so when that happens, they'll go, oh, glory to God. I don't need mom and dad anymore. I can just believe God for everything. And it's true. It's true. It's true. I uh, learned early on, uh, Phyllis and I had to learn this. I don't know, we were in ministry a couple of years, and the Lord had blessed her with some nice clothes, and she uh, felt impressed to sew them all to some people that she had met. And man, she cleaned her closet out. I mean, she cleaned it out. And somebody told me, Brother Keith, what are you going to do? You got to buy her all new clothes. I said, uh uh. I'm not her source. Amen. I said, I like buying her things, and I have, and I will. But I'm not her source, and that's good news for her because she's not limited Amen. to what I can do. Now, most everybody agrees with that, but do you realize how much people are pressuring each other about stuff? I want a bigger house. You need to get a better job. We need to make more money. Conversations that happen, they wouldn't happen in church. But they happen at home. I I want this. I want that. You, You said we could get this. We have made so many mistakes by letting people put this burden on us to make this happen for them when they can believe God too go to the book of James book of James I believe it's the fifth chapter you have to be on the watch because people will try to put things on you they will try to yoke you to things And put responsibilities and burdens on you that the Lord never told you to to do. But because your family, because your spouse, because your pastor, because whatever, 
People think they can just do it. And it's this thing of, you know, well, you're such and such. You're supposed to do this for me. I had a lady one time at healing school come and, and hand me a list this long. I, I'd never met her before. I was teaching healing school. And these are things that I was supposed to do to help her get healed. I looked at it and all this praying and fasting I'm supposed to do and all this personal time with her I'm supposed to do. And I think, if I did all that, I got no time for anything else. I mean, <laughs> she's trying to put the responsibility of whether she's healed or not on me. I didn't take it. I had learned, now don't misunderstand me, in previous times I had taken some things I shouldn't take. I know uh, when I first got into ministry, I was under the impression that I'm a servant of the people. There's a truth there. But because of that, I was basically to do whatever they asked me to do. If they wanted to come and counsel, you know, for four hours, I was supposed to do it. If they wanted me to, to come see this or come do that, I was supposed to do basically anything that folks asked me to do. And oh dear me, after a while of that, I was meeting myself coming back, and I was so fatigued, and I was so tired, and I was about to go minister somewhere I was supposed to minister that afternoon, and I had just spent two hours letting somebody tell me their problems, and I couldn't get a word in edgewise, and I realized as I'm walking into the platform, I'm not in shape to minister to the people here. I'm, I'm fatigued, I'm warm, can you see, uh, laboring. And heavy laden. Yes. And where it really hit me is somebody had asked me to go visit one of their relatives in the hospital. And so I did. I showed up. And I stuck my head around the door and I said, hi, I'm, I'm uh, Keith Moore and uh, come to check on you. And they said, uh, who, who said you could come? I said, well, I think it was their sister or sister-in-law. Somebody said, you know, would I come see? They said, I don't believe in all that junk. Get out of here. And so I, I turned around. I'm walking down the hall. I've spent, you know, hour getting ready. I spent 45 minutes driving and getting there. And can you see? Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, something's wrong here. Yeah. And he said, he, he brought up this verse. He reminded me. James 5. 14, is any sick among you? It's the pastor's responsibility to check on you. No. Any sick among you, what? Let him call. Why? If he doesn't have enough respect and faith to ask for it respectfully, you don't have anything to work with there spiritually. Back up to verse 3. Is any among you afflicted? Verse 13, rather. 13, excuse me. Previous verse. Is any among you afflicted? Let him turn in prayer requests. Is any married? Now, now listen how foolish this is. If I said, Paul, I'm Mary. Sing. <laughs> now we're laughing, but people are doing this all over the place. You need to fix this. You need to do this for me. You need to take care of this. You need to make this happen. And people who have good hearts too many times are going, 
okay, yeah, I'll, I'll get right on it. When you should not. And, and thing after thing gets loaded on you. And it wasn't the Lord's burden for you. And you get joined to this project and that project and this group and that group and this committee and that committee. And you're just meeting yourself coming back and you're fatigued and you're worn out and you're heavy loaded. And the Lord didn't give you any of it. He didn't give you the burden. He didn't give you the join you in the yoke with it. You just accepted it. You just took it on yourself. No, friend. There's a lot of things that are beyond you. And there are a lot of things that are nothing to you. That doesn't sound Christian to people. That doesn't sound like love to people. But you can go on being deceived and overburdened and fatigued. Or you can heed the word of the Lord tonight. Is anybody interested? Yes, sir. Say it out loud, Lord, open my eyes. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to get this. By faith I will get this. Look in, in, in John, please. Second chapter. John chapter 2, the first miracle in the life of Jesus, excuse me, in his ministry, the first miracle, where the water was turned to wine. You remember it? And a wedding feast. And I want you to notice something that came out in this. Chapter 2, verse 1. Third day there was a marriage in Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said, what are we going to do? Jesus said, I'll fix it. What did he say? What is that? What have I to do with thee? If you look at other translations, the literal of it is what to me and to thee. And the way we say it today is, what is that to us? What is that to me and you? And so the next verse, she just turned to him and said, well, whatever he says to you, do it. And apparently after that, somebody say after that, the father said something to him, showed him. And so that's when he turned and told him what to do about the water pots. But at this point, he's not planning on getting involved. He said, I only do what I see the father do. I only say what I hear him say. He walked in the midst of five porches of sick folks, ministered healing to one of them, and left. Did he do it or not? He did it. Why? Because that's all the Father told him to do. Now, other times, he would preach the word where people could get faith to be healed, and everybody that came was healed. There are so many things, brother, sister, that are not our affair. It's not our responsibility. In fact, we don't have a right. It's not our decision. 
we don't have the authority in other people's lives. We have authority over evil spirits, not human spirits. This is really important. Really important. And I say from some small experience, like I said, Phyllis and I now 40 years in the ministry, pastoring a number of these years, I know why it happens. You care about people. And you, the Lord has helped you, even through some of your own mistakes, to find the answers. And so you know if they would just stop doing this and they'd start doing this, their life would change. They could just come right out. But it's their choice. And if they refuse to do it, for you to carry the care of that around with you and keep trying to change them with your faith is taking on a burden the Lord did not give you. Something that is out beyond your ability. Something that is out beyond the scope of your authority. You got to learn when to cast the care of it over on the Lord. And admit, show some humility. I'm not God. And if God won't make them do this, I can't make them do this. Now, it'll be some of the most trying things in your life. It'll be things you'll shed tears over. But if you know when to go, this is beyond me. This is between them and God. Then you don't carry that pressure and that burden. You keep on trying to fix it, keep on trying to make it happen, and it wear you down and possibly destroy you. He said, what's that to us? There's a lot of things. Don't say it out loud. There's a lot of things. There's nothing to me. You are one person in a great big world. There are billions of people. Most of them you will never meet or know. They're most of what's happening on the planet you will never even be aware of. You are aware of this much. And every day when you get up, you got a limited amount of time, limited amount of strength. And one of the big tricks of the enemy is to get you to spend that time and energy and effort and faith on the wrong thing. So that when you need it for the right thing, you're spent. Your patience is gone. Strength is gone. And it's discouraging. When you keep trying to believe for something and it doesn't happen. Well, I'm, I'm believing God for this person to change. I'm believing God for this person to change. That they, they will do this and they will do that. Trying to manipulate people against their will through so-called prayer is akin to witchcraft. The Holy Spirit doesn't do this. What do I do? Just let them go to hell? No. But you're not the Savior either. And the choice is not yours. It's not even God's. It's theirs. And they will choose the way they choose. And you can't change it. 
What you can do, you can say, Lord, have mercy on them. Send laborers across their path. Maybe they won't listen to me, but there's somebody they'll listen to. And enlighten the eyes of their heart and understanding. Satan, I command you, come off of their minds. Cause that blindness to leave in Jesus' name. And Lord, give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the enemy. You pray it in faith. Will that change them? Not necessarily. Will God hear that prayer? Absolutely. Will he do what you ask? Absolutely. Will that guarantee they change? No. Well, if I believe they will, no, you're not listening to me. Have you read 1 Corinthians 7? He talked about unbelieving and believing spouses. And remember the phrase he says, he says, how do you know whether you'll save your husband? How do you know whether you'll save your wife? Is it in the scripture? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Why? They have a free will. God will not make them do what they should do. If he was going to make people do what they should do, he would make everybody get saved. If he won't do that, he won't make people do lesser things. What will happen? God will hear your prayer. And even though you may not know it, you may not see it. It could be in the middle of the night. It could be out of town when they're on business or something. But it'll dawn on them in the bed or at the breakfast table the truth, their lost condition. They'll see things. They'll have the opportunity but it'll still be their choice. Yes. And if they want to say no, yes. that's how it'll be. That's right. Do you give up? No. As long as there's breath, yes. there's hope. Yes. Right? Yes. But taking on believing for things that's outside your authority, that's beyond you, will wear you out. It will fatigue you. It will stress you. Why? Because you're not graced to do it. You're not graced to do it. Maybe your heart's right. But just because your heart's right doesn't mean what you're doing is right. (laughs) Go to Psalm 131, please. There are answers here. Brother, sister, there are answers here. Jesus said, what's that to us? Remember when John asked him, or Peter did, asked him when he told Peter how he was going to die. And then Peter looked over at John and said, well, what about him? And the Lord said, if I want him to stay till I come back, what's that to you? You follow me. Would the Lord ever tell you What's that to you? Yes. <laughs> we have scripture. I want you to say it again. There's a lot of things. There's nothing to me. And can you see how prideful it is to imagine that I'm going to fix everybody. I'm going to change everybody. And whether they want it or not. I'm going to put my faith on it. And by the Lord, they're going to come on in. They're going to they do it. They're going to. You are thinking more highly of yourself (laughs) than you ought. You're thinking you can do things you can't do. 
One reason I know about some of this is I made mistakes in the early days of our ministry with this. I was ministering in, in the healing school at Brother Hagin's ministry. And so we were dealing with many terminal cases every day. We had two sessions, morning and afternoon, Monday through Friday. And I mean, Monday, a lot of times you come in there and it's like you could smell death. Death in the room. People that doctors said should have been dead two weeks ago and scared and hopeless and there as a last resort. And we saw miracles. We saw amazing things happen and we also saw people die. Of course, scores of thousands of people are dying all over the planet every day. Every day. And uh, I, in my youth, I was helping in the beginning. Brother Hagin was teaching in the afternoon. And then after a while, he called a few of us in. He said, one man can't do it all. I'm going to be doing these other things. Who's got healing school on your heart the strongest? Man, my hand went up first. He said, yeah, I thought so. And, and another couple of us. And he said, okay. The next thing I know, I'm teaching in that slot that he was teaching in, in the afternoon. And I felt inadequate. I mean, he had a vision from the head of the church, a tangible healing anointing. He was there last week. Who's there this week? <laughs> Keith who? I really felt it. And so I spent extra time praying, fasting, studying, so much so for months I lost a ton of weight, none of my clothes would fit, and had people that were helping me, and, and they were saying, you know, it's time for lunch. And I said, no, we just need to pray. And, and um, I didn't realize it, but I had lost my joy. And I keep thinking, if I had more faith, if I knew more, if I, was, if I could do a better job, then we, we wouldn't have lost that one. They wouldn't have died early. And I was, without meaning to, I meant well, but I'm taking the care of this, these burdens, these loads on myself that I can fix this. And uh, I didn't realize it, but I'm sure I, I became no fun to be around with Phyllis. She's shaking her head. You're not supposed to be serious, serious all the time. That's off. That's spiritually off. You'll see people go, yeah, but there's people dying and going to hell. Here you are laughing and cutting up, having fun. That's wrong. You mean you don't care? I do care. But I know I'm not the Savior. I do now. I was spending some, I was skipping lunch again, praying, and the Lord helped me to see it. This was after months of this. And the Lord, correct, I mean, in a stern, not, not mean, but in a stern voice, he said, Keith, are you the healer? I don't mean to heard an audible voice, but very distinctly, inside, I, I said, no, Lord. If you'd asked me the day before, are you the healer? I wouldn't have to think about it. No, no. He said, are you the healer? I said, no, Lord. He said, 
whether these people get healed or not, is that all resting on your shoulders? And I saw it. He said, they had a whole life before they got to you here. You don't know what's happened with them and what led to this. You don't know how many times I've spoken to them or how many opportunities they've had. You don't know what's going to happen after this. You are not responsible for whether they live or die. Are they healed or not? You are responsible to take what I give you and preach it with all your heart and faith. And when you lay hands on them, do it with all the faith you got and expect results. And then you leave, you cast the care of the rest of it over on me and you enjoy your salvation. And if you don't, you're being a poor witness. Who wants to emulate a depressed individual who's blaming everybody for everything and there's all doom and gloom. And he pointed out to me, he said, did you notice that if a thousand people come that are lost and uh, one of them gets saved and 999 leave lost, it does not say the angels weep over the 999 that were left lost. What does it say? Huh? Over the... Over the one that came back. Over the one. Well, yeah, but God, there's still 40 million out there. He knows that. But is that on your shoulders? The devil will try to put it on there. And people's individuals' lives, your relatives and your friends, they'll come in fear and panic and grip you and go, you got to do something about this. You got to help me. You got to help me. Listen to me, child of God. Do not let them make you their source. You are not. You cannot be. It's too big for you. You have to do something about this. No, you don't. In many cases, you can't. It's beyond you. And if you try to act like you can, that is pride. Even if it's ignorant pride and you won't get grace and help and you will be loaded and you will be stressed and you'll be fatigued and you'll imagine you're doing it for the Lord. Psalm 131, did you find that? I believe some folks are getting free. Boy, it helped me so much. It helped me so much when the Lord said to me, you're not responsible for their life. See, this is too big of a deal. We're talking about eternity. God has all kind of people he uses besides you. Most of which you will never even be aware of. And he said, you're only responsible to take what I give you and minister it with all the faith you have. And if you pray for him, lay hands on with all the faith you have. And he said, and then you walk out those doors. You cast the care of the rest of it over on me. And you enjoy your salvation. Oh, did somebody hear that? Now you you enjoy your salvation. 
Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Wasn't he? Above his companions. Jesus was not a depressed individual. Even though he was about to literally carry the sins of the world. He was going to actually do it. And yet in his earthly ministry little kids loved him. They'd flock him. They'd cover him. Little kids don't like being around grouchy people. Do they? They don't. They don't flock to sober, sober, serious, serious, hard people. They stay away from them. But not Jesus. They flocked him. They rushed him. In fact, it got to the point where the disciples were telling the kids, keep all them kids away. He said, nah, nah, let them come. Let them come. Let them cover me up. He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven's like. Hallelujah. Why? Because he was not depressed. He didn't go around every day going, oh God, I got to take the sins of the world. Oh God, oh God. Oh, ha. No. He did not. Now when it came time to do it in the garden, he sweat blood. It wasn't easy. But by the grace of God, he did it. And he's not at the cross today. He's not in the garden today. We thank God for the cross in the garden, but we don't live back there. That's happened. He's past that. He's raised from the dead. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Ain't no need crying about the cross. We got to shout about the resurrection. Glory to God. It's already done happened. It's accomplished. Finished. Didn't he say it is finished? Psalm 131, I think. Just one and two here. Psalm 131.1 Lord, my heart is not haughty nor my eyes lofty neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Keep reading. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. There's only one more verse. This is the whole psalm. Do we need to be weaned off of some things? Do we need to be able to detect and realize this is beyond me? Let me read this to you from some other translations. The NET, the New English, says that very thing. The New English translation, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. So we're not supposed to have great aspirations? Not about things that are beyond you. Yeah. Feed your vision. Yes, increase, but it's got to be in line with what God's telling you to do. And with what you have authority and grace to do. There are things. I'm not fussing at you. I'm telling you what I'm learning. Right? I, 
I have found situation after situation. And back then, the Lord pointed out to me, he said, when you lost your joy, you got off. Spiritually. You're never supposed to lose your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. No matter how you rationalize it, that you've become so serious because you care so much, because you're trying to do everything for everybody. No, you're off spiritually. And you can't help anybody so weak you can't even believe for anything. The joy of the Lord, your strength. When you're depressed, you're spiritually weak and unable. He said, when you lost your joy, you got off. And I saw it. And so that's been an indicator for me. It's kind of like a light on your panel, <laughs> right? A red light that comes on and goes, oh, something's not right. Something's going wrong. When I realize my, the Bible said in Romans, the God of peace fill you with all joy and peace in believing. These two indicators help you detect your spiritual condition. If I lose my peace, I'm not doing good spiritually. If I lose my joy, I'm not doing good spiritually. I need to make some changes. I'm not supposed to go around without peace or without joy. I'm thinking about the wrong thing. I'm trying to do the wrong thing. Something's wrong when I lose my joy and my peace. And so that's helped me then following years after that, if I'm working on something or something's going on and I realize I've been all day and hadn't laughed, then I look over at the panel, oh, a light's on. <laughs> yeah, what light is that? Joy light. Oh, man, I'm running low on joy, three quarts low of joy. What, then I need, to t- I need to take a self-assessment. What am I trying to do here? What am I trying to do? And not so many times I realize, that's beyond me. That's, that's, that's not my responsibility. It's not, I don't even have authority in that for them. They haven't submitted to me. They haven't asked. In fact, they don't want to. So God won't make them. I need to admit I can't. And the moment you humble yourself and acknowledge the truth, that weight comes off of you. Right? Doesn't mean you're happy about the situation, but it comes off of you, you feeling like it's my responsibility to fix everything and make it happen. And as soon as you do that, your peace comes back, joy comes back and light goes out. Shift it in gear and kick in the four barrel. Here we go. I can't control everybody, but we're going over big for Jesus. <laughs> and we'll believe they'll, they'll see some things. And if they want to come back, we'll still be here serving God. We're not quitting. We're not changing. We'll give them something to come back to. Can you see that? He said, the living Bible, verse 1, Lord... I'm not proud and haughty. I don't think myself better than others, and I don't pretend to know it all. I'm quiet now before the Lord, just as a child who is weaned from the breast. Yes, my begging has been stilled. O Israel, you too should quietly trust in the Lord now 
in all ways. These things become addictions. Trying to mother everybody. Trying to fix everything. They become addictions that you need to get weaned off of. And when you do, what happens when you wean a baby? Well, you have a cry on your hand, right? I mean, right? You have to go through a bit of a transition. Why? Because you keep wanting to text them. Tell them what to do. You keep wanting to, you keep wanting to, you keep wanting to. And so your soul is going, you say, shut up, shut up, put the phone down. You are not the savior. You are not the healer. You are not the provider. Quit it. Quit it. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you are. In Acts 15, you'll see this phrase goes right along with this. He said, uh, you don't turn there, but Acts 15, 10. He said, uh, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace, grace, help of the Lord Jesus will be saved, even as they. The Bible said in Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There are all kinds of yokes. All kind of things you can join yourself with, make yourself responsible for, let people make you responsible for that are not the Lord's yoke. Because his yoke, what did the Lord say? My yoke, my yoke. His yoke's different from all these other yokes. My, why? Because with his yoke is grace to do it. Help, strength, grace to do his yoke. Grace to carry his light load. Grace, grace, grace. But doing this other stuff. Wear you out. Wear you down. Until you're discouraged. And then you'll find that the people you're trying so hard to fix and help. They don't appreciate it. They wish you'd just butt out. And a lot of times you need to realize that's what I should do. I should have already butted out a long time ago. Doesn't mean you don't love them. A lot of times you need to back off and let God deal with folks. You can be getting in his way. You can be misrepresenting him. There are a number of folks. You need to stop sitting on the phone with people for two and three hours and letting them hash and rehash their problems with you. You need to stop it. It's making you sick. I'm speaking to you about the Spirit of God. There are folks who should be in a totally different financial condition than they're in. I mean in good shape. But they have let their family and their friends ask money from them until they have impoverished them. And the Lord did not tell them to give them that money. They are enabling their sin and their ungodly lifestyle. 
and bailing them out of situations that they need to have to turn to the Lord to get out of. The devil's tricky. He's subtle. He, he's counting on you loving that flesh so much that you will ignore him. Ignore the Holy Spirit. And not even listen to what he's telling you to do. You're supposed to be led by the Spirit with everybody. That includes family, spouse, friends, brothers and sisters. I don't care who they are, how much you love them, something comes up. You're supposed to, in all your ways, acknowledge him and say, Lord, yeah, I know they're hurting. I know they need something. What should I do? And you need to be willing to obey him when he tells you, you don't do it. This is not you. And it's tough when they come and beg you. I thought we were friends. You know it's wrong when you hear that. You know they are faithless in that situation because faith puts no pressure on people. Don't let anybody make you their source. Don't let anybody make you responsible to do things that are beyond you and not even within your authority. Remember Paul talked about his measure of faith in Romans. In Corinthians he talked about his measure of ministry. That his measure extended to here. But not here. We need to realize we're not in charge of everything. We don't have grace for everything. We got our areas. Right? And if people will let us help them within our areas happy day. <laughs> but we can't just push our way through into people's lives and situations and fix everything. There's people that imply that if you just get enough faith, you'd go clean out the hospital. Why hasn't it happened yet in all these generations? Why didn't Jesus do it? Somebody said he did. I just described to you where he didn't. The five porches of Bethesda. That's like a hospital. Bunch of people there. Walked in there and ministered to one. Got them raised up and left. Why? This wasn't a healing meeting. He didn't preach to anybody. This is the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit of God told him to do something. He went and did it and then he got out of here. Why? Because he said I can do nothing of myself. Did he say it or not? So all this stuff that people try to say, well, Jesus, you know, he walked on the water. Why? He's a son of God. He raised the dead. Why? He's a son of God. He is a son of God, but they're leaving a the wrong impression. They're implying he could just do anything he wanted to, anytime he wanted to, because he's God. He is God. He was God. Always be God. But he was not functioning as God. He emptied himself, Philippians says, of his mighty weight and power and glory and became like other men. In fact, no miracles occurred in his ministry until he was baptized in the river and the Holy Spirit came on him. Then, by the anointing, you begin to see these things. Why? Because he's functioning as a man. And he said, as a man, functioning as a man, I can't do anything of myself. There are times he'd 
look at his closest relatives and go, what's that to us? <laughs> unless the Lord says something to do. In that case, a little bit later, he did. But unless and until he does, don't mean we don't care. Just means we have an awareness enough to have some humility to acknowledge enough, I'm not God. I can't fix everything. And I'm not going to kill myself, wear myself out, make myself nuts, right? Trying to carry the burdens and cares of everybody else. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Stand on your feet, everybody. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, lift your hands and say, thank you, Master. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Come on, lift your hands a moment. Give the Lord praise and thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from every heavy load. Every hard yoke. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You want me to stay or are you good? You can help me with this just a minute. I was thinking as he was telling those stories, when we started this church, everybody kept giving us these ideas of things that we were supposed to start and do, start this outreach, start this on this night, start this class, start this thing, start this thing. And um, I even thought some of them was great. And I'd go to Keith, let's, let's do this. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. And he'd say, did God tell us to do that? Did God tell us to do that? And he'd just squelch it. And sometimes I'd even get upset about it because I think that's a really good idea. You know, we've never pastored before. That's a really good idea. But he'd always come back to, did the Lord tell us to do that? Did the Lord tell us to do that? He's been a real stickler about that, sometimes a pain about it, you know. (laughs) But it has spared us where I've seen other people fall. It has spared us from so many mistakes. And while I was sitting there, I thought of something that I, it probably helped me to realize something even just tonight, why that is. Because Keith was there at Ramah when they started the prayer and healing and counseling center at Ramah. And After they started it, they had a sign up on the building. You can help me correct me if I'm wrong about this. That said prayer and healing and counseling center. And Brother Hagen, evidently people had talked to him about it and thought that was the way to do it. And this is what you should do. And this is how you should do it and this sort of stuff. But the more he prayed about it, the Lord corrected him and said, no, I said prayer and healing center. And he corrected him. And y'all added counseling. And y'all added counseling. Y'all. That's how I started with the ministry, on the phone every day, counseling. Counseling people. And he said, y'all added counseling to it. He said, but that's not what I told you. It was just prayer and healing. 
So what Brother Hagen did was before you knew it, the word counseling came, came off, off the, the building. building. <laughs> and it stopped. And he repented mm -hmm. and it stopped. And this is what I got in my heart. There's some people that need to go home and take it off your, your bulletin. You need to take it off your building. You need to take it off of whatever you're doing. If God didn't say do it, yeah. you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. all I got. If God didn't say do it, yeah. you shouldn't be doing it. Because that's the yoke. You won't have the money to support it. Yep. You won't have the people to support it. Yep. You won't have the goods to support it. You won't have the heart to support it. Yep. You won't have the faith to support it. You won't have the, the energy to support it. Yep. You just won't have anything to support it if God didn't say do it. Yep. And that's what I got. Yeah. It's not that counseling is wrong. No. It's just that the Lord, in fact... We did this for months, and uh, every Wednesday night, Brother Hagen led prayer at the church. This was before there was a church. The church didn't exist yet. And so uh, he'd get to praying, and something would bother him about the prayer and counseling, I mean, and healing, counseling and healing center. In fact, counseling was mentioned more than prayer at that point, because that's a lot of what was going on. And so... Next Wednesday, he'd get to pray, and same thing. Something would bother him about it. So he'd come over there, and he'd look around, and he'd talk to this one and that one, and he'd go back, and next week, it'd bother him. And finally, he said, Lord, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? See, why would you say what's wrong? This is harder to pull and lead and do than it should be. Can you see that? Something this, because his yoke... It's easy. It's easy. His burden is light. He said, the Lord said, I, I never told you counseling. I told you prayer and healing. He said, sheep should be counseled in their own sheep fold. And if they don't have one, that's one of their big problems. And so immediately he stopped it and he never had that feeling again. Everything was right. Can you see the leading of the Lord? How important it is. And that man, he immediately, like you said, man, the next day, those letters came off the off front the of the building. building. I mean, it was off. It was, somebody said, counseling? He said, no, there's no, no more counseling here. You know, get counseled at your sheepfold. Yeah. I don't have one. That's one of your problems. Yeah. <laughs> get one. <laughs> Praise God. That's it. Hallelujah. That's it. Let's lift up our hands again and thank the Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.